Hashem set up a system for a nation to have an existence on a divine plane. Now, how do I exist on a divine plane? There's rules that the way that the divine being created the world, so I live my life based off of the system that he set up when creating the world. And the more I interact in the world from his plane, then the more that I myself am making myself divine and the world around me divine. Now that's the purpose of life. Now, the world changes, and therefore if we have a divine document which is meant to teach us how to traverse and interact with the world on a divine plane, then those teachings also have to be malleable, definitionally, or else they can't go ahead and address the changes of the world at hand. So Hashem, in His ultimate wisdom, made the system not just malleable, but dependent on people to define that system. Now obviously, that system wasn't given full, you know, full throttle control over what the rules will be because the rules in the system is objective. Hashem made the world. The world runs a certain way. And therefore, the system that he set up has to also run within that framework. So to give another, to give mankind <coughs> complete dominion over how that structure is going to look, he can't do that. That's counterproductive. So what did he do? He created a synthesis. He created a synthesis of divine principles, which are unbudgeable, and combined them to work in tandem with, with people who devoted their lives to understanding and delving into the depth of those laws to help cultivate and develop that system based off the time. That being said, Torah definitionally is, in a certain way, objective and not budging, and in a certain way, very, very fluid. Those two aspects of Torah are called Torah Shebechtav and Torah Shebalpeh. Torah Shebechtav cannot change. There's not one thing in the Torah Shebechtav that's able to be altered. And if someone tells you that the Torah is different than the Torah that Meshav Beinu got, he's an Apikoros. It's not me. It's the Rambam writes this in the Yudgim Ikrim. That the, what we have is a system, a divine system. That doesn't change. Now, the fact that this is set up in a system is even written in the divine canon. The Pasuk says, that within the Torah itself, the Torah gave the authority for rabbinic thought to define not just rabbinic safeguards and institute nudinim, but even to define Dine Deraisa. Right? How could a person define Dine Deraisa? Because the Torah said that a person can define Dine Deraisa. So the Pasuk says, <laughs> So you eat, you satiate, and you make a bracha. So what bracha do you make? It doesn't say in the Torah. But that's the point. The point is that there was a person named Meshavinu, and there's a person named Yeshua Ben Nun, and there's a person named David and Shleiman, and they made up three brachas, and those three brachas made a benching, Midiraisa. And hundreds of years later, there was a miracle in a city called Bitar. And then just the fourth bracha, and the bracha became a bracha to Rabbanan. And there's something which can develop. That's all part of Teresh And those two things are necessary, because if everything was canonized at the time of Mount Torah, so then you would have people who are unable to function within a changing society. That's a fact. Now, Torah itself and how you relate to the Torah has changed over time. It says that Meshav Rabbeinu got angry and forgot 300 halachos. Now, if Meshav Rabbeinu forgets 300 halachos, so what do we do, right? We have Torah Shabbat and we have Torah Shabbat but who was told the Torah Shabbat Peh? Meshav Rabbeinu. So Meshav Rabbeinu forgets halachos, we're stuck. 
So Seichazal, Yeshua ben Nun, studied, and he was Mechadish, those 300 halachas. And we instituted them. <coughs> wow. So what's that mean? That means that within Torah, within both the Torah Shavichtav and even within Torah Shavapeh, we have the tools to go ahead and determine what the divine intent was. Right? So now, what are those tools that we have in order to do so? So it used to be we had something called Nevoah. We had a suffix. We're not sure what the halacha is. So he asked the prophet. The prophet, you know what he does? He talks to God. And God tells him, it's the halacha. That was the most straightforward thing. And through the time of prophecy, we had no such concept called machlekes. Ever. It didn't exist. Why? Because if you ever have a doubt in Allah, it's the very simple thing to do. God, what was your intent here? Straightforward. Now, it got to a point where we lost. We lost Nebuah. So now we're trying to determine halachas, and those halachas we have are both written and oral. So now, it gets to a point, we don't have Nevi'im, and we're trying to determine halacha. So what do we do? So there, Hashem Himself gave us different tools to go ahead and elucidate and try to determine what halachas are from the Pesukim themselves. So now, lots of times the Gemara will tell me the most basic tool is called my basic logic. Logic. Logic is a tool to determine halacha. The Gemara says multiple times in Shas, It's a svara. Why do we need a pasuk? If something's basic logic, you don't need a pasuk. Why not? Because the Torah is expecting you to be logical when you go ahead and learn it. So, if something is counterintuitive, something doesn't make sense, then that can't be what the Torah means. That's Pasha. Now, there are some things which are not intuitive. For example, if I have a korban, and a korban, generally speaking, I have to do smicha on. Smicha means I have to lean on its head and put my full body weight on top of the animal. Now, do I do that on yantif? Now, that's a great shayla. That's a wonderful shayla, right? On the chol, I understand, but yantif, that's nesedarabon, and meshamish rabalchai, you can't do that. Maybe no, maybe it's a tzarach of a mitzvah therefore chazal and kaiser, you can hear a difference, right? So it's machlekes, basal vishanai, this is the first machlekes in chas. This is the first machlekes, chronologically. So how do I determine that? So here, if I don't have svaro, I have other things. So Bishmal has a b'raisa, and that b'raisa we have already from the time of Mishra that tells me 13 different principles I could use to go ahead and try to understand the verses, the darsh in them, to expound them. And by extrapolating and expounding those halacha, the, 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 the psalkim, I could actually define halacha. So now, we come up, and there's different opinions. There are different opinions. Bezil says, do smicha even on yantiv. Bishama says, you can't do smicha on yantiv. What do we do? Right? So now, this is a great question. What do we do? The answer is, who's, it's not even before what we do. Who's right? Who's right? So, this is the Chiddush of Torah Shabbat is that they're both right. They're both right. Why? Because they're both utilizing tools that were given to them from the Rebbein Shalom. They're using them properly and interpreting them, which is said. So, therefore, both truisms can exist at the same time. I'm going to speak. Afterwards, you can write, write down the questions. Write down the questions. Yeah? The, the, the truisms which don't budge, they don't change. But they're both true. So how can they be both true? They're, they're different than each other. The answer is that you you guys could have gone to, right. You guys applied to other shivas besides a writer, right? So you could have gone to a different yeshiva. Maybe even Amsterdam, not right. But Amsterdam knew I had to come here. But everyone else besides Amsterdam, no? Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's true. Right, yeah. So everyone else could have gone somewhere else, right? Imagine John on the bush, right? Could have been. Yeah? Ay, ay, ay. So now, imagine, right? It could have been. It's not a little right? 
Yes, but he didn't go there. Now, if he went there, that would have ruined everything. It would have ruined everything. It would have been okay. Listen, maybe it would have. But say that. If Metz went to Shalavim, right? It wouldn't have ruined everything. It would have been okay. It would have been all right. He did the same. It would have been, it would have been all right. So now, that being said, but he didn't go to Shalavim, right? He went to Raito. So it's also okay. So if you have two legitimate interpretations, so the question is that these are both expressions of divine intent. And now the question is, what became the practical, the, the, the mass practice? It's not a question of this is against divine intent or not. Both of these fit within the system of bringing a divine reality into the world. And therefore, they're both legitimate. Hi, they're both legitimate, so how can we pass in like one as opposed to the other? So there, there's a precedent called Rav. And then when I have a Rav, a majority of competent halachic authority, I'm going to repeat that, of competent halachic authority, when you have a Rav of that, so then that trumps even a minority of superior halachic authority. Right? And then we've had, that is a, the most famous Gemara ever, that was the Machlikas, you know, there's the Chachamim, right? Mm. That you have a majority of competent halachic authority against a minority of superior halachic authority, and the rave takes precedence. That's the way that Hashem set up a system, that the way that the majority of the world relates to these divine principles defines the divine reality. And that's every machlekes. So now, that in and of itself we want to keep, you know, there's a shayla, there's a shayla, the chesam sefer has a shayla, he says, how come when we teach kids chumash, we teach them with midrashim? I don't know if you're aware of this, there's movements now, we shouldn't teach kids midrash, we shouldn't teach them rashi, we should only teach them, we should only teach them the psukim straight. The chesam sefer is not a new thing, the maskilim went into this 200 years ago, yeah, and they asked the chesam sefer, and the chesam sefer said, I'll get it, he said, when it comes to a non-Jew, a non-Jew is allowed to learn Torah Shabbat. But a non-Jew is not allowed to learn Torah Shabbat. So if I'm teaching my kid only Torah Shabbat, so why is he different than a guy? What's giving him, what's making him unique? <coughs> what's giving him that divine <coughs> character? He has the same chilek of Torah as a guy. What's making him unique, what's giving a unique chilek of Torah that makes us different from the nations is the Torah Shabbat Peh. Now, Torah Shabbat Peh, I'm going to say it in a different way this time. What? One second, it's okay. <laughs> it was a mistake, it was a mistake. Nothing, nothing happened. <laughs> so I'm going to try to say it a different way, but I think, I hope this time it'll go in different. It's cool. Yeah? So like this. Imagine, imagine you have something very, very precious. Yeah? Imagine you have something very, very precious. Let's say you have a, you have a piece of jewelry. A very fancy piece of jewelry, a diamond necklace, but the whole thing is diamonds, right? A diamond, diamond necklace. Not a diamond pendant, a diamond necklace. Yeah? At least 75K. At least, at least. yeah? Sit down. You can't wear that every Shani Vachamishi, right? You can't you don't bring that out all the time. You don't do that. So when do you bring out the necklace? You bring out the no, not even Shabbos. It's something not even Shalashagalan. You bring it out for Hasanah. You bring it out if you're meeting the president. Only if it's Trump, not Biden. <laughs> you bring it out like You bring it out for but it has to be something which is like spits, right? That's when you bring out such a thing. And the more you bring it out for things like, you know, my kid's graduation, so then it loses its whole effect. Right? Because what are you doing? Like, it's not the right place for it. So in a certain way, that's like Tereshabal Peh. Tereshabal Peh, the pshat is, that's something that's unique for Klai Yisrael and Hashem. That's something which is between us. And that's not something to bring brought out all the time, and it's not something to expose to other people all the time. It's something which is a unique, a unique expression of connection between us and Hashem, which because it's so special, there's something which is 
has no physical manifestation. It's Baal It's a secret. It's a secret between us and Hashem. Now what is the koach of a secret? So number one, a secret is something which is hidden from other people because of it's so special, because it's so sensitive. But a secret brings closeness between the two people who tell the secret as well, right? The fact that I tell you a secret, the fact that you tell me a secret, means that we've connected and we've come closer to each other that if we didn't share that secret, then we wouldn't have become. Right? So Teresh Peh is the unique connection, is the expression of unique connection. It's the secret between between Klai Yisrael and Hashem. That's why the Greeks had no problem with Torah. Right? This, it couldn't be divine, because what's divine? Divine is that secret between us and Hashem. So translated to Greek, so it's not a secret between us and Hashem. Right? It's, it's always true. That the Pshat is that the, the more sensitive and special something is, the more that's hidden from other people. That's Teresh Peh. So Teresh Peh can't be written down, it can't be expressed. So we have a Mishnah, we have a Gemara, we have Rishayim, we have a Chreinim. What happened? So like this. Imagine you have you have I'm gonna give you a muscle, give me a second. Imagine you have a person who's in the Holocaust. Yeah? And now they were running for the lives, the Nazis came and attacked them, this and that. They finally got out and they ran into the woods and they found this old couple and the old couple put them up in an attic and even though the Nazis came they were still able to hide them and this and that. So now that people who experience that how how much indebted, how close do they feel to those people who saved their life? They do anything in the world for them. Right? Anything in the world. And now those people's kids Right? The, the, the survivors' kids, how close, how indebted do they feel to that family? Also very indebted. Do they feel the same way of indebted as the parents do? Absolutely not. And now, those people, the survivors' grandkids, who also grew up hearing this story, they feel indebted to that family who saved their grandparents and therefore their parents, and therefore they're here? Absolutely. Now, do they feel as close and as indebted as the grandparents still? No. They can't even fathom it. They can't even fathom it. <coughs> they feel even as close to their parents still. It's already a klishlishi. Right? And so on and so forth. So now, we have a concept called Yeridus Hadoros. Yeridus Hadoros means that the closer you were to Maimed Har Sinai, the closer you were to the expression of truth of Teresh Peh and Teresh Bichtav, the two Torahs which came together, right? Elisha was given everything. Whether that took place in one day, whether that took place over 120 days, it's a discussion, but within that 120 days, he was given the entirety of Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat So there, there, the people who experienced that, they were Romanus Achilles. They experienced the truth, the reality, that we can't fathom. They saw the Rebbeinu Shleilam, whatever that means. They saw him and they died. It was Parcha Neshmasam because when you see the Rebbeinu Shleilam, your, your Neshama just leaves and clings to the Rebbeinu Shleilam. And the Rebbeinu Shleilam had to take the Neshamas and put it back in and they saw him again and they cleaved to the Rebbeinu Shleilam and he had to put the Neshamas back in. It, that's what happened. They might have Sinai. That's wild. And now, the further we go away from that, the less connected we are to that reality. That's a concept, that's a reality that we can, ex- we can connect to a little bit. A concept called Yeridus Adoros. So now, in the same way that you can understand that there's a certain feeling of Hakar Satov between the survivors and the people who saved them, so now let's just modify that, that mashal. Let's say you have a husband and wife. And husband and wife have Baruch Hashem a beautiful, beautiful marriage, a loving marriage, and all they do is care for each other. So it gets to the point where you don't really have to communicate with your wife so much. Why? Because you understand what the other one's thinking, they understand what they're experiencing. 
So you communicate, but the communication, it's not like you need the words in order to communicate. You just self-understood. You can look at each other, and that was all you have to say. The look conveyed everything. You can understand such a thing, right? You know what I'm saying? Am I, speak, am I describing something which is impossible to understand? If you don't get the muscle, so please speak up. Yeah? I think it's a straightforward muscle. So now, then the, the ability to communicate on that plane is due to the fact that you're so close. Right? So if that's the case, so then, since I'm so close to you, the fact that I express less does not mean that I'm communicating less accurately. If anything, I'm com- communicating actually much more accurately. That wife understands her husband much, much more than the guy who has to talk to her for 20 minutes to convey a feeling, right? The fact that you have to talk to her for 20 minutes to get a feeling means that she doesn't get, really get it. <laughs> she got it, it would take 20 minutes. He would just look at her and she would understand. So, that in a certain way is a chisaron. The fact that you have to be more expressive is a lacking of your understanding. It's a lack of your communication. So now, we have something called the Mishnah. We have something called the Gemara. The Mishnah, it got to the point where understanding, to holding on to the grasp of Tarnash Abalpeh became too much. We couldn't do it. It was beyond the human capacity. And therefore, the Gemara teaches us, that sometimes in order to sustain the Torah, you have to actually break the rules of the Torah, whatever that means, however that applies, what the Palach parameters are, at different time. But they wrote down the Mishnah. What's the Mishnah? The Mishnah is a compilation of the anchor of Halacha of Torah Shabbat and therefore, the entirety of Torah Shabbat could be found in one way or another within the Mishnah itself. Now, if you read a Mishnah, do you see the entirety of Torah Shabbat in it? Absolutely not. But when Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi wrote the Mishnah, I guarantee you he saw the entirety of Torah Shabbat in it. And I could prove it to you. Because every Gemara is just discussion of a Mishnah. And every Rishon is just discussion of a Gemara. And every Achron is just discussion of a Rishon. And every Mishnah is coming to explain a din of a Pasuk. <laughs> and that's a Metzias. So now, why is it that the Mishnah is so cryptic? Why is the Mishnah so hard to understand that if I looked at the Mishnah, I wouldn't be able to derive all these halachas by myself? The answer is very simple. Because that relationship between the husband and the wife, that connection that they had where they didn't have to express with all those words in order to communicate an idea. So Rabbi Nasi had that connection. And the people in his generation had that connection. The Vilna Gain says about himself, the Vilna Gain, just to give you an introduction, the Vilna Gain, the Vilna Gain, they asked Chaim Velazhner, Chaim Velazhner, was the premier student of the Vilna Gaon. He asked the Vilna Gaon, Rechaim Lajan explained the stature of the Vilna Gaon. So Rechaim Lajan said, the Vilna Gaon is like a Rishon. So they asked him, is a Rishon like the Ramban? So Rechaim Lajan said, Chas v'shalom, like the Rashba. Now, whatever that means, I don't know what that means. <laughs> but, the Gain said about himself, the Gain, I'm saying, slept for four times a day, half an hour each, every six hours, because of the Gemara we saw in Sukkah, my David Melech. Yeah, he didn't sleep. He slept for half an hour, four times a day. He did a Cheshben and Nefesh every year of Yom Kippur about Betel Torah. Every year was between 20 to 30 minutes for the entire year. And that was not in Kamus, that was in Echos. Meaning to say, it was not that he just time was sitting around doing nothing. He wasn't learning to his optimal ability for 20 to 30 minutes a year. We don't know what it means to be the Vilna Gaon. The Vilna Gaon at the end of his life would read Tanakh and make a Siyaman Shas. Yeah, that means that he saw every opinion of every Tana, every Amora, how it was alluded to in a Pasuk, how it could be derived from a Pasuk, and he would read Tanakh with that clarity and make a Simashas. 
Yeah, we're going to give you the commentary on Tanakh, on Talmud Bavli, on the entirety of Shulchan Aruch. And he wrote more Svarim in Kabbalah than he did in Nigla. And the Vilna Gaon said about himself that we cannot imagine the Madriga of a Pashad Yid in the times of Bishamikdash. We can't fathom the Kirvas Elukim that a Pashat Yid experience in the times of Bishamikdash. It's beyond our comprehension. Now, I, can't, I can't comprehend what it means to be the Vilna Gaon. The Vilna Gaon said that about himself. We can't comprehend what it means to be a Pashat Yid in the times of Bishamikdash. So, does that mean that every Yid in the times of Bishamikdash was a Tamil No. We see the Mishnah is something called the Hamaras. But that connection, that that secret that existed between Yisrael and the Rebbeinu Shleidam, that point where something was so passionate it didn't have to be expressed, was a reality. That was a reality due to our closeness of Maimon Harsinai, the same way that the survivor and his family, the next generation, the next generation, slowly was less connected. The people who saved them. So the Mishnah is actually very, very clear. The problem is that we've lost our connection to the relationship, and therefore it became less clear. And therefore there became something called the Gemara. Because even in the times, the hundreds of years following the canon of the Mishnah, 400 years later, they got to the point where people didn't see the entirety of Torah Shabbat Peh anymore in the Mishnah. And if they didn't do something about it, they were going to lose Has Rashaam Torah Shabbat Peh. So they wrote it down. And even after they had the Gemara, which after they had the Gemara, the Vina Ganashi was written with Ruch HaKadosh, it was very, very clear. Everything's very, very clear. So now, 400 years later, 500 years later, along Rashi, it's not so clear anymore. And so Rashi wrote a commentary to explain just what the Gemara is saying. Because if Rashi didn't do that, we would be left not being able to understand what was being expressed. And you know what? Rashi wrote it, but 500 years later, there's somebody in the Marshal, and he realized that people would talk about understanding Rashi anymore. Because they were so far away from Ahmed Harsinai, and that language, that secret, that connection to truth that Rashi expressed so clearly. So then, they didn't have that connection anymore. So the Marshal had to explain that. And you know what? People stopped being able to understand the Marshal. Because they lost that connection. So it was people like Rebiki the Eger and the Pnei Yeshua who had to explain basic interpretations in Rashi and answer up for questions on Rashi from Tilsus because it was so foreign to us what even Rashi was trying to say that we couldn't comprehend what's being expressed even though in the times of Rashi, Rashi wrote so clearly. What do you mean? It's like, tell my wife, I have to sit there and tell her, my wife, you know, exactly how I feel about every single thing. It's like, she knows. So, comes along us, and we're really far. Baruch Hashem, we know there was something called Maimon Arsinai. You know, not, most of Klaisel doesn't know there's something called Maimon Arsinai at this point. So Baruch Hashem, we know there was a Maimon Arsinai. Baruch Hashem, we believe that there was a Maimon Arsinai. Baruch Hashem, we're interested in what was given over at Maimon Harsinai. These are all things which make you the pinnacle of Klai Definitionally, the fact that you are interested in learning what was being expressed at Maimon Harsinai puts you in the top 5% of Klai That's wild, right? We're the top 5%. Wild, yeah? So now... We're trying to connect to a secret. That secret was given to Meshe Rabbeinu. That was expressed to Klai Yisrael. That was expressed to Yudah Nasi. That was expressed to Avinu Ravashi and Terashi and Terbukhan And everyone's really just trying to do something which is the opposite of expression of truth. They're trying to put in words something which can't be put into words. The emotion that a person feels, the connection that a person feels, the clarity a person has in the communication with the wife that's not spoken is lost when it's spoken. But we can't connect to it because we don't have that connection. So you have to speak it out. And so what we're doing is we're not trying to say any chidushim. 
I hope you realize that in Shia. I'm not trying to say anything. Chas v'shalom, we ever try to go ahead and try to force something into the words. Chas v'shalom. To say something the Gemara is not saying. We ask a question on the Gemara as a means of trying to understand what the Gemara is yes saying, but chas v'shalom, to add something different? And the point is, is that, yeah, you're right, we're speaking out a lot that's not there. But why are we doing it? Because it's there. It is there. Sometimes it's not there. But we have to kill ourselves to try to understand what that secret is. And so what we're trying to do is really just try to understand what was said already. And due to our lack of a connection, so our work is trying to articulate that secret which was passed down from the time of Meshavino. That's what we're trying to do, just to articulate it. So, they have a briskarov, right? And the briskarov is a whole shtickle, right? There's two Mishnayas, and there's a, there's a Yerushalmi that brings two different psukim. Mm. And what do you mean? There's a steer in the Rambam, and the whole piece, right? If you ask Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, he'll tell you, why do you need a briskarov for this? I wrote it in the Mishnah. I have a Mishnah. There's a Risha and a Sefer, the Mishnah. I don't get it. What don't you understand? There's a Risha and a Sefer, the Mishnah. I wrote it. You didn't get that? We well, see a Tesis, right? Tesis is going to be bothered. Whoa. How could it be that we're learning Dine Esnan from Dine Shinglikine? What? What? They're two totally different things. The Tesis says because it's a new object. Why is it a new object? What's that have to do with anything? So the, he's, he's saying the Briskarov. This is against expressing the Briskarov, right? Aye, Tosa said already. So what the Briskarov Machandish? Because the Briskarov didn't say it, you wouldn't have seen it in the Tosfos. So all he's doing, all he, the Briskarov did was connect to that secret. That transmission from the time of Meshur until now, he's just articulating that secret which was already expressed very, very clearly. We just weren't privy to hear it. And so if you're asking... I be learning something. So what gives us the right to say as far? What gives us the the answer is very, very simple. The answer is we're not saying anything. We're just explaining that which is being said. Now how do I you know you're right? You don't. You have no idea if you're right. How are you supposed to know if you're right? I so you don't know if you're right, so how are you saying it? Because I have a mystery to learn. And you know what? Not only do I have a mystery to learn, but I was taught how to learn. You know why I was taught how to learn? Because I went to Shiva. I had a Rebbe. His name was Rosh Arayeri. And he knows how to learn. And you know what? He had a Rebbe. His Rebbe was named Nachum Fransavitz. And he knew how to learn. And he had a Rebbe. His, his Rebbe's name was Lazy Rufinkel. He knew how to learn. And he had a Rebbe. And you know who his Rebbe was? His Rebbe was? If so on and so forth. <laughs> <laughs> and that expression of Teresh Malpeh, that's a transmission that's also given over. Kilo Kwaisa was given a tool to access that. And part of going to Yeshiva, part of, of getting it Nerach and is you're connecting to that Masorah. It's not shot that I can come and be like, okay, I have a whole new way to learn that no one ever learned before, and I'm going to, what? What are you doing? You care about Torah? You care about what's being expressed? Or you care about sounding smart? And the point is to connect to that. So now, do you know you're right? You don't know if you're right. Aye, so how can you say you're right? So who cares about what I tell you right now? Let's be frank, right? Who cares what I tell you? Maybe I'm wrong. And now what? So we did our best to understand. So that difficulty comes when you start passing halacha. You pass if you get six, then you have to know, right? How do you know you're right? And then what's the answer? The answer is, but if you've gotten to the point in your learning where you're pesik and you can determine halacha, then the Torah said that we're relying on you to determine the halacha. Because as a person who's given up his life, leilus kiyamim, that every single aspect of his life is given over to the Torah, so then, he's an embodiment of Torah. We stand up for Talmud Chacham, not because of him, because of the Torah he contains. Right? He's an embodiment of Torah. And therefore, that's, that's, 
what gives us the right. So now we have a machlikas rishonim, we have a machlikas amarayim. So every person we say in our davening, v'sin chalkenu v'sarasecha. Each person has a unique perspective of Torah, right? So obviously, we can sit here at this table, and I'm going to tell you exactly what I talked about today. And I guarantee you, if we were to take ten of you, and we were to ask each of you individually what we talked about today, ten of you would all say something different. Because you all heard something different today. So now, who's telling the truth? Maybe I'm telling the truth, because I'm the one that spoke, right? But no. So now, they're all expressions of truth. So now, you have a machlikas vishenah, you have a machlikas achreinah. And everyone's expressing that same secret, but from their perspective. And we say, and think about it, it's so interesting, right? We say, What's the connection? It's, it's a total non sequitur, right? The two things have nothing to do with each other. One's a place where I bring Karbanos and I dive in, and the other is what I do anywhere in the whole world. What, what's the connection? And the answer, according to what it's saying, is so Pashat. That Beis HaMikdash is your connection with the Rebbeinah Shalom. He's here with you in a very, very serious way. And like the Gain said, especially in the times of Beis HaMikdash, they didn't need any a Madriga that we can't imagine because he was close. He was living with the Rebbeinah Shalom. And therefore, if he wants to convey a secret, all he has to do is wink at you. And you understand. So, when I'm there, I'm connecting to my Chilak and Torah. That's a Mesa Mikdash, Ibanish Shalom, the same Chilkeinu, but Sarasach, yeah, it's not a stira. That's what it is. It's my way of interacting with the divine in my reality. And everyone's expression of that's going to be different. And Halacha is determined by the majority perspective. Every perspective is right. It's not wrong. Every perspective is truth because it's working within the framework of the system. It's an expression of a divine truism. Now what's binding? It's how the majority of people relate to it. Because the truth of the matter is that there's no truth. There's no absolute truth. It's not because Rabbi Yezer is Rabbi Yezer Gadol and he's the highest, he's the, the, the pinnacle of Tamuruk thought, so therefore he defines the halacha. That's not the point. That's Tafka, not the point. Not, if there was an absolute truth, then going after the majority is, is an incorrect approach. Right? Just ask Stephen Hawking every time. The answer is, it's not the point. The point is that they're all truths, because we're all using the tools that the divine gave in order to interact with the world. So the majority of the opinion is going to dictate how the masses relate to it. Because that's an, a representative of the, the, the masses' interaction with that truism. <coughs> I, think, I think I answered Kimon every question. I think so. Yeah? Yeah. So you just said it, uh, that every perspective is right, so to speak. But how come there are people who will say, like, there's some, like some sort of demon, something that's in halacha, isn't what they agree with, how they follow, or something like that. Like, for example, like, Jews who may not identify with orthodoxy, that we're allowed to not follow halacha. They're not, they're not keeping within the system. They don't care about the system. So you're saying that I'm not halacha, talking about in essence, is a system that we follow. That's Pashat. There are very different principles within halacha, outside of halacha, that Correct. just makes sense that has to follow. Pashat. Yeah. Okay. I'm only talking within a halachic framework. Okay. Now, halachic framework means I don't care about the system. So everything within a halachic framework is correct. That's how we, that's how we, that's how we started, right? If you say that Torah changed, <coughs> then you're happy Torah. Right. Torah doesn't change. Just as a follow up, kind of is on the same lines, but we're saying everything is, uh, I don't know, we're, we're, everything is a certain truth. We, we learned in the Mara and Sukkah where one rabbi says to the other rabbi, you must have been sleeping when you, when you thought of that. How's it going about Bavakama? Oh, there's yeah. Bavakama? Yeah. 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 No, it was before that. It was before. There's an Ahmed Yeah. Uh, so, there's a Shashas. What, what? I feel like if you said that someone was sleeping, you'd probably think that they're not telling the truth. Like, what? I'll tell you as follows. Seemingly someone thinks that they're right, and someone, he thinks the other person's wrong. There was, 
a person named Nekzei Sacheshen and another person named Nesiv Samishpat. Nekzei Sacheshen wrote a sefer elaborating on Dinim and Cheshen Mishpat. And Nesiv Samishpat wrote a sefer elaborating on Dinim and Cheshen Mishpat. And half of what he talked about is why Nekzei is wrong. And Nekzei wrote another sefer afterwards responding to the Nesivas HaMishpat and defending himself. And the Nesivas HaMishpat once came to the city that the Ketzis is thereof and the Ketzis went out wearing Big Day Shabbos to the tomb of the city and followed his carriage by foot into the city. They argued vehemently and everything the other person said. And that's what he related to him as. There's a Sefer, a Rishon, the Baal Ma'or, Zachari HaLevi. He wrote a commentary on the Rif. The Ramban wrote a Sefer attacking the, the Baal Ma'or, the whole Sefer. It's called Milchamos Hashem. If I were going to say that in Arabic, I would say it's called Jihad. <laughs> Just to hit home. Right? And the Ramban wrote a sefer called Melchama Shashem to attack the Baal Ma'or. And the, the framework for which Chazal, for which the Rishrinim, the Achrinim relate to each other is not Chas V'Shalom anything personal at all. But it's that there's Torah. And how could you say that Svara against the Torah? So now, is he aware that there's a different way to understand it? Absolutely. Is he aware that he's talking to a Malach Hashem? Absolutely. And the expression is meant to convey the emotion behind what they view as a misinterpretation of what's supposed to be of truth. But it's not chas v'shalom anything more than that. Yeah. Um, what's so important? What's so important about connection to the secrets expressed at at Har Sinai? That was when they. That was when everything was given over. My whole my whole essence was given over to me. My whole relationship was given over me and Hashem. In one moment, that changed me forever. I came in as a behema, and I walked out higher than a mala. That was my mechasinai. That's the secret. So you want to tap into that reality? That's all we want. That's all we want, and we want to make that a reality here. And the way of doing that in 2024 is by having to learn all those things because we're so far away. We're just connecting to what's being said. We're trying to put into words and articulate that secret which was expressed before and become connected to it. Right? And how do you connect to something? There's something called Ve'adata Hayyim. You know something here. And you bring it to your heart. So... In a certain way, you can know something but not be connected to something, right? I know that there's a war on down south, but I'm not connected to it because I can live my whole life without thinking about it once. So how do I connect to it? How do I make that a reality? So I can go down there, I can volunteer, I can look at the news, right? So now there's a Metzias called the Rebbe there's a way he interacts with the world called Torah Mitzvahs. And that's how we interact with him. And the way I connect to that is through my mysterious nefesh of trying to view myself, view the world through that. That's called Talmud Torah. And Talmud Torah is a means of bringing that and making that our reality. Yeah. I know that this might not be the most productive question, but... Why is it fair that the generation of Moshe Rabbeinu had 
such supernatural signs of Hashem and everything was, you know, naturally so pushed to them. Whereas we, I don't want to say Hashem's hidden, but we live in such a natural world. How do we, and things aren't pushed to us, why, why do we have to struggle and toil as opposed to them? We just sort of so you, you're making an assumption and that's the assumption your question is based on an assumption your assumption is that there's an objective goal that we're trying to reach there's a certain bar of accomplishment that is defining our success and therefore it's not fair that Misha being his generation they were came out there already and us were so far away it's impossible and that's not the point the point is that Hashem wants that effort so, in a certain way, a person in Dora Midbar cannot understand how a kid who grew up in New Jersey in 2020 with a smartphone and wasn't able to leave his house would want to come to Antisrael and to Lantaro. They wouldn't know what you're talking about. How could that be impossible? And that's a Kiddush Hashem. And that's uh, an expression of, of expression of Hashem in the world that they weren't able to fulfill. And that's something very, very unique about our generation. So it's not that something is better or worse, it's different. And the point is that every generation is expressing that even though I'm getting further and further away from that secret, I'm still, that's all I'm interested in, is connecting back to that. Yeah. If, in terms of halacha, how is it possible that Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, com- in some circumstances, completely disagree halachically, which would mean that you have an entire yeshiva that's just doing stuff the exact opposite from the truth and from what, what's allowed? Like, like on Hanukkah, for example, there's lighting the wrong way. So, like this. This question is an interesting question, but I think you're exaggerating the question. I'm going to try to prove this. Let's take, I'll give you two examples. Let's do, talk about your example of Hanukkah. So everyone agrees, both Basil and Beishamai agree that there's a mitzvah de Rabbanan called lining a menorah. Everyone agrees to that. And everyone agrees, both Basil and Beishamai, how long that menorah has to be lit for. They agree when it has to be lit. They agree with what materials can be used to light it. They agree to the bracha that you make on it. They agree that the minimum, the base fulfillment of it is by lighting one candle. They agree there's a concept called mahadrin that you can light for every person that's living in a household. And that's an, a, a better way of fulfilling the mitzvah. And now when you want to do an even more optimal way of fulfilling the mitzvah called express the greatness of the miracle or express how long this miracle has occurred for, they have a dispute how to go ahead and do that. So now, how big of a machlekes is that? That's not such a big machlekes, right? That's just one example. So now, let's talk about another example. Another example would be that, you know, what is defined as a mamza. So that's a very significant machlekes, right? Machlekes basil b'shamay. What can what constitutes a mamzer? So, the things that basil says is kasha kahal that b'shamay holds a mamzer. Now, everyone agrees with something called a mamzer. Everyone agrees that what establishes a mamzer is the woman's marital status or halachic status at the time of conception. Everyone agrees to the result of what makes a mamzer, you know, what, what it means to be a mamzer. And the question is, within a specific circumstance, is that status of the wife or the woman, a status which the child she gives birth to, going to result in that. So now, when it came to Zechidosh, the Gemara says that the Nimnil B'Shamay didn't refrain from marrying into each other. And there were certain types that Bishamai wouldn't marry. They would marry into Basilo. And they were cautious, meaning to say as what? Well. Meaning to say that Basil was aware of Bishamai's sensitivities. And they would inform them that this is not for you. And since that's true, so then they married into each other. So now, 
in the times of the Mishnah, you have one place that Yisya Galili would eat chicken and milk cooked together. And there are other places that would hold that you would get Malkus if you get chicken and milk together. And there are other places that hold with the Sidabanan and the Tamipaska and the Halacha. But it doesn't make a difference because what do you, what's, the, what's the real dispute? The dispute is that there was something off here in this wife's, this woman's interaction with another man. And now that there was something off, to what effect does that have on the offspring? Everyone agrees that there was something off here in the relationship. So now it's just a question of interpretation of what's the ramification and how does that fit into a divine system? So they disagree? Yeah, they disagree. So now we have to determine the halacha. So let's determine the halacha. So how does the majority of people view that relationship? The ramifications of it. How do I have a right to choose based off of the principles that the Torah itself gave me? I think. Yeah, Rafi. Um, will there ever come a point where we will completely under, like, lose our understanding of Gemara? Because it seems like in almost every generation there's somebody like the Marsha or the Rashi to explain it or re-explain it. Um, so, we, we, have a point where we don't have something like that. No, impossible. The, 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 we say every morning in our It can't be. There can't be that Kaisal doesn't have a connection to Torah. The moment we don't have a connection to Torah, so then we have, don't have a connection to reality anymore. Then there's no point of life. Yeah. Yeah. I have one question. Yeah. Um, do we apply the concept of growth to every mechalket? Like, meaning we choose one of the other because of growth? So that's a different question. That's a different question. But and why? Like, why just because more people... It's in the time, in the time of the mission of the Gemara that generally was speaking, is such correct, yeah. But why? Because the Torah set that as the principle. So why would that make sense, just because more people do something over the other? That, because that's if, there's, more if there's a divine truth in both, in the both perspectives, so then what do I put upon the masses? So I put upon the masses that which the majority of people did, they, but they're, how they connect to that divine truth. It's not a question of is it true or not true, is it right or wrong. They're both true, they're both right. So what do I put upon the masses? I put upon the masses the way the majority of people see it, because that's the majority of people's truths. Yeah. Um, if we have this idea of the year we like the Holocaust example like you can't even comprehend yeah. then like how is our generation expected to like bring Mashiach when our parents or grandparents couldn't so that's that's Dafka the point right that's Dafka the point meaning to say as follows in a certain way the fact that Meshur Rabbeinu is an Eved Hashem makes a lot of sense <laughs> it makes so much sense right he talked with God I had to talk with God right God told me to do things and he told me not to do things and it's very easy to listen but we live in a generation where if you outwardly express that you believe in God and that's binding in practice, you've lost 25 points on your IQ before you've opened your mouth. That's our generation, right? The only reason a guy with a yarmulke gets into an Ivy League college is because he didn't wear the yarmulke in his interview <laughs> or because he's a first-generation college attendee. Right? That's it. Yeah? That's a Metzius. So now... <laughs> I said it, yeah, I said it on tape. So now... So now... The fact that a person can get up and say, even though that's true, Rebunish Leilam. Ana Abdu Dukuchabrichu. So that's something that Rebbe Kiva Eger couldn't do. That's something that Rabbi Kiva Hatana couldn't do. It's like Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't do. And that ability of expressing that no matter how low the world is going, how far the world is from the Rabbeinu Shalem, that nonetheless we're still here and that's all we want. What's... That, that is Mashiach. No? That, that's what... That's something so much more precious. Yeah. Two quick questions. Um, well, you quoted the Vasuk of Tashmir and the Varshi Yehuvah and you were talking about how that gives many people say the that's a source for 
through rabbis having authority to uh, institute certain things uh, or certain svarah through learning. How do we know, or how 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 do we know which rabbis have that authority? Like what what? There's no you know exam that says okay that like back back in the times of when when there was like a true line of mesorah, there would be like an apprenticeship and there's something called smicha. Right, but I'm yeah. saying nowadays. Like our our level of smicha, like some we don't, we don't have smicha anymore, right? A conservative rabbi can no, someone can whatever someone who's not maybe on that same level can still get smicha and say that they're a rabbi. So Again, what, where's the what's the distinction? That's an excellent question. There's a person named Chavetz Chaim. I suppose I told you this guy recently. Chavetz Chaim got smicha when he was in his eighties. Yeah. Why? Because he wanted a discount on the trains. So one of his students gave him smicha. Now, that was after he was already with Shivan Radin, and that was after he wrote the Mishnah Barura. Now, why was he? Why did he write the Mishnah Barura? Why was that accepted? Why did that become, you know, the baseline of normative halacha? Because there's something called Klal Yisrael, and Klal Yisrael defined that he is going to be the the speaker of Klai Yisrael. He's the one that's defining halacha. Ramesha Feinstein came from Russia when he was 30 years old and he became the Gadol Hador. Why? There were other people that lived in the Lower East Side in Manhattan that were giants. Pashat giants. They have sworn godliness and no one knows their name. And Ramesha Feinstein became the Gadol Hador. Why? Because there's a rebellious them. And the Rebbe chooses his leaders. So, it's very, very clear. Today's Rebbe Shalom is on the Yom Arbach Zerat side, right? Rebbe Shalom is on the Arbach. So, how did it become the Pesach Ador? Because the Rebbe Shalom said, I want you. And I'm going to make sure that Klai Yisrael accepts what you have to say. And secondly, we're, we're living, as you said, like there are these multiple truths and we're trying to live the most truthful life. But in the end, we're gonna like after May of Esther, we're gonna get to a point where we are, depending on like how you what you interpret it as, we're living in like a, a Lama Bria, like in our own world where we know what the true truth is. If that makes sense. So why why are we toiling here if it's all gonna be just uh, galoy in the future? Like to, to all to all our like neshamot. So you understand what I'm asking? I'm not I'm not sure what you're asking. Like, if you're asking, what's the point of working to try to find truth? If anyways, that's what we're going to get at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah. So then that's... Yeah, and, and it's not something attainable in this realm. Like, exactly. Right, so that's, that's the whole point of Edom The whole point of Edom <clears throat> is that Tafka, you're put in a place where the truth is not explicit, it's not clear, and you work in order to attain it. That's Chava Inish, that's the precedent. That reality is the precedent for Chava Inish. And the degree that I do that, the degree that I achieve that, will determine how much truth I'm privileged to in Edom it's not, it's not that everyone just, you know, it's a welcome ticket and you know, everyone gets the same thing. But to the degree that I gave my life in order to aspire to that and to try to achieve that, that's the degree that I'm going to have a revelation of the ultimate but truth. I'm not doing it for a I'm not doing it for a 100%. I'm not doing it for a If I do it mitech hero, then I'm doing it for a And if I'm doing it mitech ava, so the Rambam writes that an Ibn Hashem is Isis Emes Mignesh Emes. He does what's true because it's truth. So, so it's connected to reality. So when you said today, Anu Ratzim, Mehim Ratzim, what are we running towards? We're running towards... Everything. We're running towards truth, and they're running towards Shekhar. We're running towards Torah, and they're running towards Gashmias. We're running towards the Rebbeinu Shalem, and they're running to a seven-layer cake. Yeah? And, and it's a different... You can live life as this world being the ends, and not a means, and you can live this life as the world being a means, and not an end. And there's two ways to run. Everyone's running. Or you're just not an Isfarf. There are people who are just partially disconnected, right? They live the life with a mass of a bag of potato chips and a television. There are people like that, right? But a person who's running, is running in one or two directions. Yeah. Um, you were discussing how, how things are fluid, and, you know, there, there's this certain kind of, like, 
flowed downhill of, okay, fine, you go to the rush, march off. But there, there, there seems to be certain turning points, certain, certain moments where if things didn't go exactly how they did in that moment, things would be totally different. I mean, we had totally different sects of Judaism. You had Sadducees and Pharisees and like, you have people who, who think that there should be no Torah about that. We have, uh, you know, we've had, I mean, at least what I understand, basically our halakhic system for a thousand years since the Shulchan Aruch, like, that it happened then, and, you know, there have been, you, there's a mission brewer that was written, there are other, there are obviously massive things that have happened, but we've kind of, like, how, how do, just like, how do those turning points work, and we, how do we know that, may, maybe we deserve to have our own turning point, maybe, uh, you know, in the year 2024, someone writes a new shulchan, like, I, like how does that, Listen, so they're asking an excellent question. I'll tell you a story. My father-in-law learned in Israel, and when he learned in Israel, his Rishishi was a person named Rav Yaakov Weinberg. Yaakov Weinberg was a Rishishi in Israel. A very, you know, open-minded, broad, you know, educated individual. Mm-hmm. And so my father-in-law asked him, I forget what the exact question was, but it was a similar vein, that there's different strands of Judaism, different strands of thought, and how we're supposed to relate to that. And his response was, Kushtakai, the Gemara says Kushtakai, if something is emes, so emes doesn't fluctuate, emes doesn't leave. If something is true, so then it sustains. If something is not truth, then you see it disappears. So it's to give you like the Haskalah in the 1800s. For, forget the people themselves who were open to the Haskalah, that their kids end up converting to Christianity. But half the time the people themselves ended up converting to Christianity. Aye, but you're fighting for Klayasal, you're fighting for Torah, you're fighting for the Jewish people. But it's not Emes. So something is Emes, time will determine it. Time will dictate. So we have the, we have our terms. We have something called the art scroll. The art scroll is in fact there's an art scroll in a certain way is the biggest klala for Kaisal that ever existed. Mm-hmm. Pashat, you cannot connect to a Gemara anymore. You're not allowed to think in a Gemara because someone already told you all the answers to all the questions and it doesn't even let your mind have a question to allow you to question what's being said because everything's just put to you. Right? So Pasha the worst thing in the world. And we have the biggest brach in the world called an art scroll. That thousands, tens of thousands of people are able to learn because they wouldn't be able to learn otherwise. So that's a Shulchan Aruch. The Maharal was so vehement against the Shulchan Aruch. Vehemently against the Shulchan Aruch. How could you, how could you codify halacha? Learn at the Sugya. There's a rub of the town. The Paskin, based off his understanding of the Rishayim. Yata. Okay. And that's always true. Yeah. And... Time dictates, time will determine what's the okay. truth. And then the other question is uh, you think that normal Jew in has a massive connection to yeah. First of all, half those people probably followed minimal halacha. That's for sure. But no? That's for sure. What, uh, what are you talking uh, about? Guys, 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 one second, guys, guys, guys. One second. So this is a whole I different discussion. This is a whole different discussion. Okay, fine. But I, I'm happy to talk so, about that at a different time. But so chas just, okay, so yeah. just in terms of like having connection, Benishol gets led out of Egypt. Mo- Moshe has direct conversation with Hashem, and still doesn't always do exactly what Hashem tells him to do. Benishol sees a sea split, and ten minutes later is asking to go back and be slaves again. Okay, like what? Is a good question. It's not. Is, 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 a totally, is a totally new topic. Is a good question. Is a totally I think new topic. It had, like the, the the connection aspect. What, the, what, the, I, there's answers to this. Okay. There's for sure answers to this. I don't want to. Yeah, six minutes to show Kali starts. I don't. I don't yeah, to no, do no, that no, topic okay. justice. I'm happy to have this a different Thursday. It's a it's a worthwhile topic, but it's just too much for once. Yeah. If Tarshval has a secret to Goyim. And what do we do with things like Ein Tafel Ein? Do we just let them believe that that they get literally, or do we just assume that they'll understand? It's not they. They're not. Or do we pas- just not care? Or? Why do they pass Kanalacha? 
I'm just saying, when they, if they were to read Torah, Sukkot, do we care what they think? No. So we just let them assume things that aren't true about Judaism? They can ask us what we, our perception is. We can tell them, we wouldn't chop someone's eye out. So I'm saying, you pay for it. That's what it means. But it means that we don't let them in onto that. There's a unique aspect. There's a husband and wife. There's Christ on the Rebbeinah and There's certain things that are just between the husband and the wife. Also, why would Hashem create a concept of Yerusha Sedonos? It's not something I was saying from multiple levels, but something is, first of all, it's the Metzias, it's not something created, it's Metzias. It's a rule, Hashem can yeah. override the rule. So that goes back to his question a little bit. That the point is, is that to repeat, to repeat in a video that someone's done already, I ask you to paint a picture. So you paint me a picture. And I ask Anviel to paint a picture. If he paints the same exact picture, I kind of lost it. Why would I ask Aviel to paint today? I already have one of those. I want Aviel to paint Aviel's picture, right? So, the Rebbeinu Shalom created a world that, even though we're getting further and further away from him, nonetheless, Kalei is still calling out to him and still wants to be connected and still revolves the life around it. That's a whole different picture, which the Rebbeinu Shalom never had before. There's a value to that. Yeah. The last um, question. Are we are we continuing to uh, learn Baba Kama? And if so, then why did we make a scene on Baba Kama for continuing? No, we're learning about Kama still. We're still in the room, but what? But some of them are not left. He wanted an excuse to break the cake for us.